This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Okay, we are back with another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm bringing on my very, very dear friend, Jimmy Letchford, to join us here today. Jimmy, welcome to the Resilient Life. Thanks. I'm like so honored when you reached out to me. I was I was like, geez, I've been waiting for this invite for so long. <laughs> really, I have. Um, but it's so great to be here. It's always good to see you, Rye. Yeah. I'd well, say you're more like a sis than you are a really, really dear friend. But. I, I agree. I agree. The feeling, the feeling is mutual. And I was, I was just sharing with Jimmy before we, we started that my husband reminded me last night, I said, Oh, I'm going to have Jimmy on the podcast and, uh, you know, going to talk to him about kind of his journey at, at Navy and the Marine Corps from CrossFit to Grow Rock and, and everything in between. And he said, yeah, well, don't forget to talk to him about Travis. And, um, you know, I looked back over, you know, the 70 plus episodes that we've released in the last two years and realized that Jimmy, you're the first person, um, that I brought on that actually knew my brother and was friends with my brother. And, um, you know, so we'll start with a little background and context for everyone. You know, Jimmy is, uh, the chief growth officer at GoRuck, our great partners and friends. But uh, my friendship, um, brother sisterhood with Jimmy started uh, when I was 18 years old. And yeah. you know, and uh, Jimmy and Travis went to Navy together. They wrestled together. And in fact, I think you guys wrestled each other before you got to Navy. Is that correct? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. I'll, I'll tell that story here. But we, we certainly did. That's yeah. kind of. Yeah. So go on. Yeah. But um, so I got to know Jimmy uh, at the Academy as as one of my uh, one of my brother's uh, close friends. Um, you know, there's probably a lot of stories we're not going to share today from those days at the Naval Academy. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, this is PG, right? PG-13? Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're normally, we get a clean rating on most of our episodes. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, after that, you know, Jimmy was, like I always talk about, one of the things, Jimmy, I always talk about when I'm out talking about Travis is I say, you know, when when we lost Travis, um, obviously the creation of the Travis Manning Foundation like brought purpose to our lives, right? Being able to help others and grow a mission that bared his name. But for me, and it still continues today, like there is nothing that brings me more comfort uh, and makes me feel close to Travis than being around people that he was friends with, you know, the people he went to Navy with, the people he served in the Marine Corps with. And I always say like, every time, I'm around Travis's friends. Like it feels like there's a piece of him in the room, you know? Yeah. And, and to this day, 15 years later, I still hear stories about Travis that I'd never heard before. And uh, I often laugh because a lot of the stories I continue to hear are stories he probably never wanted us. To. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those are the stories that as time yeah. goes by, you know, we hear. And so you've been 
such an incredible friend to not just my family, but to the growth of the Travis Manning Foundation over the years. And so, you know, again, it's just, it's awesome to have you here kind of go through this journey with you. And, you know, I feel like uh, we've, we've been down this linear path together over the past 15 years. Um, but let's kind of bring it back to the beginning. You know, we're, yeah. both, we're both from the Philadelphia area too. We have that, that kinship. Um, diehard Eagles fans. That's right. That's right. The, <laughs> the last few guests I've had on have all been diehard Eagles fans too. So I don't know if there's yeah. a trend happening here, but you know, you grew up just over the bridge in South Jersey and right. um Let's talk a little bit about wrestling. Like, how did you get into the sport of wrestling? How did it, it take you to the Naval Academy? And, and what role did it play in your life? Yeah, sure. Um, well, thanks for that intro. Gosh, you have me like tearing up over here. Um, yeah, I did. I, I started wrestling. I mean, for anybody that's in the Northeast, you know that wrestling's life, right? So it's football season, wrestling season, baseball season, and then the summer's back to freestyle wrestling season. Started when I was four and, you know, just like any kid starting at four years old in the sport of wrestling, it's tough, you know, but I had great parents that continued to urge me to, you know, not quit. And, you know, I'm so glad that they did because the sport of wrestling is like, like no other. And I mean, you being a wrestling family, you know it. The wrestling family's out there listening. They know it. But uh, the sport's just amazing. Right. Um but I continued to wrestle and uh, all the way through high school and, you know, my desire to play football in college outran my, you know, my ability to grow to the size of a football player, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I actually just continued to, to wrestle. Like it was being recruited pretty heavily by a, a number of universities, but I knew after going to a father son wrestling camp with my dad, when I was eight, that um, I wanted to go to Navy and <laughs> The reason being, um, there was a jet outside the wrestling room. That was the only reason. I mean, I was going to camps all over the place, but this school, for whatever reason, had a jet sitting right outside the wrestling room. So I was like, this is the place, yeah. you know, and as I got, as I was growing older and everything, and I got more and more um, interested in the Naval Academy, I was just like, wow, this is a pretty great institution. Uh, you know, what other school can you go to that gives you a great academic, you know, gives you great academics and a, and a great degree. You have a job at the end to get to serve your company or your, your company, your country. Yeah. You can serve your country and, you know, and then um, you get to wrestle, Yeah. you know, and I was just like, this is, this is fantastic. So I was dead set on going to Navy from the earlier days. And so when I started to get recruited um, for wrestling through high school, it was kind of like, okay, you know, I'll consider all these other places, but I was really waiting for that Navy letter and eventually got it. Um, and some from West Point and Air Force Academy. And, uh, you know, it turns out I actually got into Navy, but didn't get a nomination. And oh, so, wow. for, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, um, for the academies, you need you know, you need to get into it academically, but it needs to be coupled with a nomination from a congressman or woman, senator, um, or someone of office of that caliber. So they only, each state, depending on the density of the state and the applicants that have applied to the academies, get a certain amount of nominations. And when they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. And so, 
Yeah, I, I, I wanted to be a SEAL so badly, so badly. So I got into West Point and got the nomination. I got into Air Force Academy and got the nomination, got into Navy and didn't get the nomination. So I had to do a year of prep school. <laughs> I know exactly when that moment happened that I didn't get the nomination too. I never, I don't think I've told anybody this and certainly not in a public forum, but I think I'm going to do it here. Yes. <laughs> I was in, I was in um, a, the board. It's normally a board, the Senate, you really don't meet with the Senator or the Congressman, right? Right. There's like a, there's like a nominating committee, essentially. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And I remember being in there. I mean, I was so buttoned up. This was my moment. I was physically and mentally fit. I mean, I was, I was training to be a SEAL, right? And I, I was just, this is where I wanted to go. And I got in there and I was killing the interview, killing the interview. And um, they were like, so when you graduate, do you know what you'll be commissioned? And I was like, yes, I do. In fact, you'll be a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps or you'll be a, and I remember just thinking to myself at this moment, I'm like, this is wrong. The, you would be an ensign in the, the Navy. But I, I just hiccuped in my brain and I was like, what a silly name. I'm going to say an ensign. And they're going to be like, what? Like, what's an ensign? And I totally just didn't answer the question. And they're like thinking, I know they're thinking in their mind, like this guy wants to be a SEAL that graduates from the Naval Academy and he doesn't even know what he's going to get, you know, commissioned as. Right. And so sure enough, I didn't get the nomination. I need to go to prep school. And uh, that kind of took me, that took me to Blair Academy, which was, is arguably the best wrestling high school in, or prep school in the nation. I mean, proven by the numerous and repetitive national prep championships, you know, and I mean, my team, my entire team went and wrestled for a division one wrestling school. So yeah, that's kind of the wrestling journey. And that kind of brings me to like how I met Trav, you know? Um, so when I was at Blair doing my prep year, because I was like, you know what, I'm not going to go to West Point. Can't see myself in the army which today I actually, if I knew some of the things I know now about the army and some of their special groups, I'd probably reconsider that decision, but I wouldn't have met you or Trev That's right. <laughs> or my bride. But, um, so I didn't do West Point, didn't do Air Force Academy. I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do a prep year of prep school. So Blair Academy up in the North Jersey, um, just fantastic, fantastic academics amazing wrestling program amazing people there and i was on the prep team and so you get the prep team that is all one year collegiate guys like a year before they go to college yeah. and we just wrestle colleges division one colleges normally they're their jv team right so you're wrestling high caliber um teams getting a lot of experience but you're not using any of your eligibility for college so it's an enormous benefit but End of the year, I get the prep nationals. Um, a week out, I dislocate my elbow. And it's just kind of like I've gotten all the way here, get this big brace to hold it in and everything. And I'm a I'm like one of the top candidates to win the nationals, right? And I'm feeling good and everything. I go in, wrestle my first few matches and just clean up, get to 
um, the number two seed and get in there, tweak my elbow a little bit, lose the match by like point, I think. And I was like pretty, pretty bummed. Get to the consolation finals and guess who I'm wrestling? <laughs> Travis Mannion. Now, look, at this point, I, I had no idea who Travis was, yeah, you know? Sure. And then again, it's at this point, I'm just like so called to go in the Marine Corps. It's like, I'm internal, right? I'm just like, just licking my wounds, thinking about myself. We get, you know, I we get to, it's a battle, right? I was like, Travis, as if anybody knew Travis, was like, this guy's got tree trunk legs. He's a monster upper body. Like he's just, he's just a house, right? And I'm wrestling Trav and I'm up, I think two, I'm up a point, I think is at the end at the buzzer and I'm in on a single leg and I'm on kind of my knees and my belly and Trav goes around to the side where my elbow is, goes around, scores, wins. And I get off the mat and coach Buxton, who anybody knows him, I walk over instead of like him giving me a hug, he punches me right in the chest. <laughs> and I just like walked off. Right. Well, fast forward to um, plebe summer, go through plebe summer. And then on Sundays, they start opening up like church for, for the plebes to go to. And that's like a down day. You're like off limits. The plebes are off limits on Sunday mornings. So I go to church and then we go to like this donut social it uh, at um uh, I can't remember McDonough Hall yeah there where the hockey hockey yep. rink and everything is yep. yeah and so we go into McDonough and I'm just around just like this is just great no one's bothering me it's quiet up walks Trav with this big smile on his face and he introduces himself well I didn't recognize the name I I just just kind of like so yeah, you had no me. clue that you had wrestled him in the national none and none but I could. But I could he see knew that he knew who you were. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. And like, you know, Travis was like a fierce warrior, you know, and, and anybody who knew him knew he was fierce. But anyone who really knew him knew how much like he was a goofball. Like he there was always levity and it was always like you wanted to laugh. You hang around Trav. like you're always going to have a good time. And he comes up with that enormous smile he had and he introduces himself and he's, he's like, yeah, I beat you in prep nationals. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, this guy, here we go. You know? Um, and it was just kind of like, he had no qualms about doing it, but he also wasn't there to like, it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about like him saying like, Hey, I beat you. It, was it like, wasn't his ego. Like I beat no. you. He was coming up like, Oh yeah, I know you. I beat you in the national. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. So it kind of like quickly, we, we started like, you know, it was Sundays. We were different companies running around, you know, chopping is what they used to call it. Right. Um, you just running around doing your plebe summer thing, but I'd see him on Sundays and then, those started to evolve throughout the rest of the year or the rest of the summer into uh, the, the the varsity wrestling team would start drilling. And so we got to got to know each other pretty quickly just because we were same weight class, same class year, got to see each other a lot. And like, you know, it just, it just became a quick, quick friendship. That's I'll awesome. pause there for a second. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I love that. I actually remember 
when Travis was going, like, I remember your name coming up, like in conversation around the dinner table, like that a guy Travis had wrestled at, at the nationals was going to Navy too. So like, yeah. I knew your name before I knew who you were. Um, and, you know, I mean, I always talk about, it's funny, Jimmy, because, you know, I've got little Travis now mm -hmm. and he's nine years old and, you know, at four years old, I contacted the Raiders, which is like the club program Travis grew up wrestling for. You can start it at age five. And I'm like, Hey, you know, Ryan Mannion here, uh, my son, Travis, like he's four, but I know you have to be five. They're like, Oh no, he's in. <laughs> he's in, he, he, you know, and I'm like, okay, great. You know? So at four years old, I'm like, I've got him in his singlet and his headgear and I'm taking pictures of him. I'm like, I, I have a post and I still have it up. And it's like, here's to the next, you know, 18 years in dirty yep. gyms and sweat mats. <laughs> and I was like ready for the journey with him. I'm like, it's on. Right. Yeah. He quit after that season, you know, I mean, and two, um, Dave and I talk about like, it's a little bit on us because I tried to throw him in at four years old and he's a big kid. So he's wrestling mm -hmm. like seven year olds when he was four. I remember the one match he went out to the dad's like slapping the kid in the face. He's got a little rat tail and a six pound oh, boy. And Travis is smiling at me like, you know, do do do. And he goes out and the kid like had him on his back in like 1.2 seconds. Yeah. And Travis's face is like, just smushed into the mat and he looks at me and there's just like a tear coming out the side. <laughs> I was like, Oh God. But yeah. like he has like an aversion, like, and, and he, you know, he plays every sport, basketball, football, lacrosse, baseball, like you name it. He'll try it. He loves it. He's at basketball camp. Now he's got football camp next week, lacrosse camp last week. And I'll, I bring up the word wrestling. He's like, no, I don't want to wrestle. Mm -hmm. And that took me a minute to like get over. And granted, he's nine years old. You yeah. may come around and I have, you know, but I like from the day he was born, I mean, Joel Sherritt, the former wrestling coach at Navy, who, you know, you wrestled. Yeah. I mean, he's sending me singlets and headgear. Like oh, yeah. Travis is like three days old, you know? And I was like, right. it's, it's on, you know? And so, oh, yeah. you know, it's been like tough, but like, Growing up in that, in that environment, you know, for if, if you don't grow up with somebody wrestling, like it's very different than other sports, like from the perspective of the athlete themselves, but also from the family and friends that are there supporting that athlete. And I look at it honestly now, like I'm okay that my nine-year-old's not on the wrestling mat because I think of the times and Jimmy, you knew my mom as well. Yep. who has since passed away. But um, my mom was, you know, she was a, a force. And she, was, and she was on those sidelines. And I was just watching back on like some of Travis's old wrestling videos. And they're videos that were filmed by Navy, right? Mm -hmm. So like Navy filmed these videos. So it's not like my mom behind the camcorder. Um, but you, the, the stands are packed and you can hear my mom. Like you saw that video right. of that just last year, the mom that breaks her glasses in half when her yes. lost, like that was my mom. Like when I yeah. watched that video, I was like, oh, Janet Mannion definitely did that at some <laughs> point over, you know, yeah. the 20 years that Travis wrestled, right? And so 
but it's, there's such an intensity in that sport. And I think because of that, like, there's a real closeness because you're, you're watching like sons and brothers compete on the mat and the families are sitting there. And like, if it's not your son that's wrestling on the mat at that time, like you feel that same sense of like passion and like energy for the, for the kid that's out there and you're with their family. So it creates like really close bonds. And, That's right. Well, you know? yeah. And your parents, they would go everywhere yeah. like mine. They would do as much travel as they possibly could to follow the team around, Yeah, you know, and that, that just further reinforces your point that like the community that's built around the sport of wrestling is pretty special, Yeah, you know, and wrestlers are, you know, like this is going to sound very, you know, self indulging, but I mean, wrestlers are pretty special themselves. Yeah. I tell you, I can't tell you, there's two things, right? And I tell this to my son because um, we can get into all the, the the military stuff soon. But regularly, people look at me and you know they see the ears, right, or whatever. Or they know I was a wrestler, or what, you know, in the on the jiu-jitsu mat, or whatever it looks like. But you know, two things people say is like, "I wish I wrestled," and "I wish I served my country." It was like those two things people say to me all the time. Or if they did wrestle, they wish I wish I wrestled longer, you know, or something like that. And it's it's not even because of the capabilities of a wrestler if they've wrestled their entire life, they're there, right? But it's more the fact that like, you know, they recognize that they could have done what I is is arguably the hardest sport on planet Earth, right? It's the first sport, right? First sport, cavemen wrestling over whatever reason, you know. But like, and it's first Olympic sport, but like this, there's something special about a wrestler four or 24 stepping on the mat and the work that they've put in is what's going to define the outcome of the, what happens in the match. Right. And then it's like, that's all sports, but it's like, you're the only one out there, you know, it's like, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I've learned so many lessons from that sport from, Hey, like, you got to put the work in, right? And like you can pick whatever, pick your job, pick friendships, pick marriage, pick, you know, the military. It's just like the work you put into anything is like, is going to drive outcome. And it's like, yeah, of course. Right. But it's like, you really got to, you really got to do it in a, like it's a sweat equity thing. And when you're tired and you're hungry and you're, you, you know, you're dehydrated, this is when it's happening. When you don't want to wake up and you're sore or whatever is when it's happening. At the Naval Academy, it's like you finished four hours of homework after you got back to your room after wrestling practice at 8 p.m. You got to do your homework. And then it's like, I probably should go out for a run at like midnight. Yeah. You, and you got to be up in formation at six. It's like how this goes, right? And like, there's something very special that teaches you all throughout you know, your youth to your teenage years, to your formative kind of later teenage years to, you know, into college that carry on into careers and leadership positions and companies and all that is like, look, you know, the work you put in is, is what you're going to get out of this. Right. And, you know, I learned one of the greatest things I've ever learned in the sport of wrestling is to never leave it up to the referee, right? And like, this isn't just about the sport. I'm not talking about wrestling at all here. And that, uh, like, it's about like, 
if you leave your outcome out to up to somebody else, like that's your fault. Yeah. Right. And yeah, there's been some moments in my life where I left it to the referee, the proverbial referee. And it's like, I've recognized those. And if I didn't have that in the sport of wrestling, like if I didn't experience those moments where it's like, Hey, if you weren't like me, if you wouldn't have lost the match, if you're only up by one point, right. That's it's your fault. Whether yep. that ref made the right call or not, you're winning by three points. You won the loss that, or if, you know, if, if you dominated the match a lot more, or you went on an extra run or you didn't cut so hard and your nutrition was better, you would have won that match. Like don't leave it to the referee. And I've had those moments in life where it's like, I left it there and it's, I have had, I had the mental uh, fortitude to actually be like, this is your fault. You know, what all, there's all this stuff happening out on the outside, but at the end of the day, this is your fault. And that's like, you can't get that from very many sports. And so just to put a bow on this, you know, this sport is just you mono e mono. You can't blame it on somebody else. And it's like a, you, some would say it's actually just, you know, an individual sport, but it has that team aspect yeah. and your team counts on you to win your, win your weight, to win your match, to be prepared, to work hard. And there's something very, very special about that. And that's, I really believe does translate very well into the, to what Travis and I actually got back into. Yeah. And you know, I, I tell the story a lot too, just like, again, wrestling being, you know, kind of thought of as a very individual sport, you know, Travis, as you know, like his junior year, he suffered like a, career ending shoulder injury, right? Like that senior year, um, you know, obviously he doesn't have to cut weight in the way that he used to. And, you know, and, and coach comes up to him and says, you, it's, you had since graduated. Um, but the coach comes up and says, you know, they're about to wrestle army and, you know, you have to beat army. I think if you, if you know anything about the service academies, like must win the whole season is dependent on if you beat army in every sport <laughs> at Navy, like you can be Oh and 20, but, or, but you better be one in 20. You better have that army win. Yeah, that's right. So they were coming up against army and, you know, they said to Travis, we need you. And, and I don't remember the schematics about it, but basically they had to put Travis into the lineup. And so mm-hmm. he had to cut weight. He had to cut probably close to 20 pounds in a very short amount of time for the team, right. To get right. up into that lineup. And then they switched it up after the fact he didn't end up wrestling, but like, And, you know, I look back, the two things when I watch, you know, I did not wrestle, but I grew up in a wrestling family. My uncle, who really mentored and trained my brother growing up, I watched him, like, put these fundamentals into Travis as he was growing up. And, like, the first thing was discipline. Like, discipline at an early age that you can't compare to anything else. Like, you can say you got to work hard at this sport. You got to do this. You got to do that. You, there's no other sport where you have to showcase discipline like you do with wrestling. Like I remember Friday nights in high school coming into our basement and being like, oh, I'm going out. You want to come to a party? And Travis is sitting there in like a plastic suit with a pack (laughs) of juicy fruit gum. And he's chewing one stick at a time and spitting into it like a little paper Dixie. That's right. And I would be like, later with my six pack of like Sierra Nevada pale ale, like walk it out the floor, <laughs> you know, and be like, this kid's nuts. But like looking back on it, like I didn't have an ounce of that kind of discipline 
when mm-hmm. I, when I was his age. And the other thing is about wrestling, you can't hide. That's and, right. You know, with other team sports, like in the big moments, and I always say this to to my kids because they play team sports, like lacrosse, my, you know, my oldest daughter is, is going to Navy to play lacrosse. She's been recruited. And like, I tell her, like, you always have to step up in those big moments, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to hide in those big moments, like where there's 30 seconds left and you need a goal, well, you could be like, I'm going to pass it to this girl and hope yes. she gets the ball in, right? And like, then there's no pressure on me if I miss it, right? And yep. so in wrestling, you don't have that choice. Like, that's right. You do not have that choice. So those are two things when I look at the sport of just like, it's what tears me up a little bit that I haven't gotten Travis there yet. But, you know, those are so important. Um, yes. And, and things that I watched that carried later on in life for Travis. And, and I think for many of the the wrestlers that I know um, throughout the country that wrestled with him, you know, I, I see it in all of you. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really special. And we, we have five kids, my wife and I, and uh, we have one boy and then four girls, yeah. you know, and similar to Joel, Joel, I mean, Joel, for those of you who don't know Joel Sharat, he is like as intense. I mean, him and Travis were, and I were, we would wrestle very regularly. Joel was about 190 pounds. Uh, Travis and I wrestled, depending on the year, between 184 and 197. And uh, Joel was just, I mean, Joel's an animal. I mean, I think he's three or four-time All-American, two-time national champ. From Iowa. Went to Iowa. Yeah, from University of Iowa. Um, In just Dan Gable days. Um, He's, you know, honorary Marine Corps McMapp kind of guy like he helped put together Marine Corps martial arts program just because of the, the you know the thought and the, the intensity and the understanding of hand-to-hand type of combat right but um you know Joel <laughs> Joel had four girls you know and our I, I I don't know if you know Fergus McTaggart but um Ferg's a Ferg's a little Irishman out of Orange County California he coaches a lot of fighters. Him and Joel come came to know each other and very close. I know Ferg too. And we got to talking one day and he's he's got this really deep Irish accent. And he's just like, well, fellas, he's like, killers makes make girls. And he's <laughs> like, the killers make girls is what he says. So, you know, well, and, and our, our COO at the Travis Manning Foundation, Josh Jabin. Um, yeah. Also a Navy wrestler. He's got three daughters, you know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, and there's exceptions, but if people start thinking about some of the guys, you're just like, Hmm, like, you know, you'd expect, I mean, I always expect, I didn't have any sisters, right. I don't have any sisters. Um, but like, I didn't grow up around girls in the, in my house. Right. And, you know, so I just thinking like, yeah, my wife and I, we're going to have five kids. It's five wrestlers, five boys. <laughs> and, you know, we got my son into it early. He, he did it for a couple of years and he wasn't having a great go and he decided to quit. And, you know, I, I, I was really good about that in my, in my, my own mind. I was just like, okay, kid, no problem. Yeah. Two years ago, it went by and he really wanted to go back. And I'm like, look, you know, we go back, that's fine. But like you were mentioning, Rye, like these are long, you know, you're practicing pretty much every night. You're in a gym it, probably the entire weekend. Yeah. Um, and like, this is the family's committed to the sport. So I'm like, if you go back, like you got to commit. Yeah. And he did. And he committed all the way until his junior year in high school. 
and when he wanted to quit. And we, that was, those were, I, I was less forgiving on that. And here's why. I, he wanted to quit. And I was like, look, kid, like you're right there. Like, and he was right there on what I was hoping he got from the sport. And it wasn't medals and it wasn't championships. It wasn't any of that. It was to notice, to know that like, there's a moment in the sport of wrestling when a wrestler understands it all clicks. And I'm not talking about going from a high crotch to a double leg to a, you know, take them to their back and that's clicking. That's part of it, but it's more of a clicks that, you know what, like the work that I'm putting in won me that match in the last three seconds yeah. or like they earned it. And when that happens, then the lessons really begin. And he, he hadn't had any of those moments yet. And so it got intense in the Letchford household for a little bit. And then I'll tell you that he ultimately did not quit. And he, and he um, continued on for the next following two years where he became the captain of the team for both years. Um, he had those moments. He wrestled really well this year, um, like made it to States. Um, but most, what I'm most proud about is he was the first kid from his high school to become uh, uh, All-American. And it was all centered around leadership. And so the state of Utah wrestling and just ironically, the United States Marine Corps present this award to only a few, select few amount of wrestlers. And it's like, he got that leadership award, that All-American Leadership Award because of him and his character. You know, I'm like tearing up. Awesome. <laughs> but him and his character but because he didn't quit and it wasn't about like the championship because he's a good wrestler, but he's not going to be recruited and he knows it. He doesn't want to be, you know, he's got an academic all of merit. He's got an academic full academic ride to the Arizona state for architecture. And it's like, how could you not be more proud of a kid? He learned a lot of those things on the, on the map. And now what's awesome is that female wrestling is exploding. It is exploding yeah. and it's a sanctioned sport in Utah where I live. Um, and it's sanctioned in a lot of other States. The collegiate programs are coming together and starting to put together some female teams, which is amazing. Yeah. I think yes. Iowa has a female team, right? Were they the first? Yes, they do. They were, yeah. They came out with the first team. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, and, and then fun. now you see these little girls um, and they, they, whoop up on the boys I, I know and I like I I still have friends who have some and kids little kids that wrestle and they're like when when they're up against a girl I'm like oh crap you know, <laughs> yeah. you know? yeah yeah and it's uncomfortable like you know girls will wrestle girls in the sanctioned states but sometimes they'll go and wrestle I mean when I was growing up there were a couple tough girls yeah. now they were the they were the outcasts you know they were the they weren't it wasn't as integrated. They're tough girls. Yeah. And this isn't, I mean, you know, self-defense. Yeah, of course. Like everybody should be able to defend themselves and, and defend others in my mind. Right. So there's an element there, but it's more of the element of like the empowerment and the, you know, the ability to be in a sport that you can learn the same lessons that the boys have always been able to learn. Yeah. And so I coach, I volunteer time at the high school and half of the kids are boys and half the kids are girls. And it's, great to see them get the confidence you know get those lessons and like i'm pumped i'm pumped that i like when i grow up all i want to do is be a wrestling coach I it's cool it. to see i love it yeah uh i feel like i could I, you know again 
never stepped on a wrestling mat, but I feel like I could talk wrestling forever. I wore my, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wore my Navy wrestling. Uh, yeah. Thanks for doing that. Well, Go Navy. Travis's old one, but I love this. Um, so, okay, well let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Obviously, you know, um, you and Travis spend some wild years at the Naval Academy, having That's fun, right. you know, getting loose, wrestling hard. Um, and while there, September 11th hits. So, That's right. you know, like pivotal change for everybody at yeah. the Academy. Um, you guys. Yeah, I just got goosebumps because I remember that. I mean, everyone that was of age, you know, to remember things, remembers where they were. Yeah. Um, yeah. And well, I, I was in it. Yeah, go I, ahead. I, I, I think about when Travis went to the Academy, you know, my dad's a retired colonel in the Marine Corps. And like, I didn't, my perception of the military was not scary, was not, you know, my dad served in probably the most peaceful time frame in American history, you know, mm -hmm. 30 years. And, and, um, but like my memories of my dad were like, Every other weekend, he went to work for the Marine Corps. And, you know, when he got out of active duty, when he went into reserves, you know, but every other weekend, or, and he'd go and do like two weeks of cold weather training and two weeks mm -hmm. of warm weather training. But again, it, it it wasn't, there was no talk of war. I mean, I guess we had the first Gulf War. My dad, you know, was like, I'm going to Kuwait. And then next thing you know, the war was over and he didn't go. Like, right. That, that's how it's, it started as quickly as it ended. But so when Travis went to the Academy, you know, I looked at it as like, you know, he's going to kind of follow my dad's, my dad's line. Like maybe yeah. he goes into the Navy, maybe he's an ensign, a swell, whatever, but like he's going to do, you know, some time in the military and um, then September 11th hits and <clears throat> everything changes. And, yeah, you know, for us, I think about you guys and, you know, you guys are barely graduating and, and your friends are already dying in Iraq. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, that had to be like a really tough pill to swallow and, and had to make things like different for you guys there. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, you, you nailed it. And like it back to the, like, Hey, why wouldn't I want to go to Navy? It's like, you know, I get to serve my country. And at that time it was, you know, uh, I get to travel the world, right. you know, and do cool stuff with cool yeah. people, with cool gear, you know, in cool places. Yeah. And then September 11th happened and I was in economics class and some, you know, it was, I remember the teacher, he was just like one of the toughest teachers I've ever had actually. And one of the midshipmen came back from the bathroom and he goes, plane just flew into one of the world trade centers. And everyone's like, What? Now you got to think about, you know, this and, and a lot of people will, but like the caliber of, uh, of student there, you know, like they're immediately going to understand how, what the gravity is in that different than probably another, you know, 19, 20 year old college kid in an economics class. Right. So everyone's like, what? And the, the instructors just kind of looked at me and said, like, okay, well, we got to keep going. We got to move this class. And everyone's like, Really? Like, do you realize what's happening right now? And so we got out of that class and then school started to like slow down, you know, because I mean, your academic days at the academy, it's, you don't, it's not like a regular college where you're like, 
you got a class in the morning and then you go off, you know, and do whatever for the Take day. It's like one after the other, after yeah. the other for the full day. And so, but things started to stop and people started to congregate around like news stations. And then the second one happened. And it was just kind of like immediately the F-18s circling around the academy, you know, rumors going around and the Marines at the gates were hardening the gates. I mean, it was like really weird. Everyone get say, let's go back to your like. They sent you back to the dorms, right? Yeah, they sent us back to the dorms. And then that evening, and this is where I always get goosebumps off this and I'm, I'm getting them now. But like we all got we all went over to. um the big, uh, where, where the Navy wrestling gym is. I mean, the, the, the match alumni hall, alumni hall. Jeez. I can't, I forgot that, but we go there and general John Allen, um, he was Colonel John Allen at the time, Lieutenant Colonel John Allen, um, I believe, but he was the commandant or maybe deputy commandant at the time. Kind of doesn't matter because there wasn't that, there weren't a lot of Marines on the yard and the ones that were on there were sharp, like razor sharp. And I remember general Allen getting up there and I'll never forget this. He basically, he said, and he started off and it was very somber, obviously. I mean, his September 11th was somber for anyone. And midshipmen are just like on the edge of their seat. And he was just like, make no doubt about it. Every single one of you will be going to war. And it was like, whoa, like this isn't traveling the world anymore. This is like, this, this is real. This is real. And I'm sure I don't have the, I don't, I don't have the facts on this, but I am sure those words caused a lot of people to leave the Academy. Yeah. Like to just basically be like, I didn't sign up for this, yeah. you know? And for some of them, it was like my, I, like for myself, I was like, you know, I kind of didn't even know I was not, that this is what I'm here for. Yeah. Like, and it was just, I mean, it took a little bit for those who remember. We didn't go to war the next day. You know, certain things happened, but it took a good year or so for us to get um, engaged. Well, you know, we were engaged a little bit in Afghanistan first, and then, you know, we went up into Iraq. But by the time the war was kicking off, I'm graduating and headed off the infantry officers course, you know, and then it was like, <laughs> it's on, yeah. you know, and I met my wife right in between that. In fact, Rye, you were, you were there that evening, weren't you? You're like, you weren't with Travis and I, when I met my wife, but I think you were in Atlantic city. Um, I know your parents were for sure. I was, I was. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, met my wife, in fact, yesterday, 20 years ago, June 28th, of 2003. And I remember too, because I remember you had met Madeline and then the next thing you know, you were like engaged and then married. Yeah. Like it was quick. Very yeah, quick. for sure. I mean, yeah. besides the fact that like, I knew that she was the one. Sure. You know, of course. Um, You know, like it was just, it was, it was a different time. I, yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think because, it's, it's like, it was the time, right? It was like, yeah. what are we waiting for? Right. Yeah. It was like, this is, like I'm, I'm, we're leaving, I'm leaving, you know, and it wasn't, I'd do it all over again. If I had 15 years, you know, I'd probably do the same exact thing, but I say all that because you mentioned it earlier. It's like, you know, by the time I'm going to IOC, we had, I, I think we had lost Ronnie Winchester at that yep. point. 
you know? And then it was just like, like things, it just, it was a blur. It was a blur because you left the infantry officer's course. Madeline's pregnant. You know, I was supposed to go to three, five, in fact. Um, and the, the IOC instructors put me with one, one instead. So I could see Jimmy born my son. Um, but like then JP Beck's blacksmith died in Al Fajr, you know, with three, five, you know, and then it's like, I'm in Baghdad at the time that that's happening. And it's just like things, you know, it was just, it was a time, right? So there was no waiting around for getting married and having kids and all that stuff, because you'd go and you train up for six months and a lot of your training cycles, you weren't even home. And then you'd go and deploy, you'd come home six months, work back up, go back and deploy. Yeah. And it was well, crazy. I mean, I look at like your, all of your time at the Academy is almost like the glory days. Right. And then it was just like, right after that, it was like, oh shit, just got real. Like as soon yeah. as you guys, you know, I feel like from the day Travis graduated, you know, I blinked and he was in Iraq. Like it That's was, right. it was that quick. And like those years at the Academy were so like, I mean, they, you know, obviously you guys were the ones like going to school, but like, yeah. you know, I was an hour and a half away uh, in Philadelphia. I was coming down a lot. My parents yeah, were I remember that. there, you know, yeah. we had a lot of fun. It was like, these like really fun times. And then all of a sudden it was just like, okay, now, now you guys got to go. And so, um, you know, I think about that was 2004 when Travis graduated, then, you know, he's in Iraq in 05. You guys are mm -hmm. like running like kind of parallel to each other with different deployments. Yeah. Uh, where, where were you when Travis was killed? I know exactly where I was. I was transitioning to CrossFit. Um, well, I started to do some trainings with CrossFit. I was in Canada and, um, there was like, so you're out of the Marine Corps at this point. No, I was transitioning out at okay. the time. Okay. So, you know, I, how I found CrossFit, I found it personally. One of my Marines is like, Hey, you know, sir, you got to check this out. Cause I was always training my guys like pretty austere, you know, hand fighting, tire flips and all the crazy stuff. Right. And he said, yeah, check this CrossFit stuff out. So I did. And I started training CrossFit and then I started to train my units CrossFit and I got some headquarters Marine Corps attention at the time. They're like, okay, what are you doing out there? Do you want to go to a seminar? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So they sent me to a seminar and like just write a report at the time we were starting the McMap program was really starting to come up alive. And when I was up there in Canada, um, there was really no, I didn't like have an international plan or anything like that. So my Madeline found out, um, I think Janet might've called her. I can't remember how she found out, but she had to email customer service at CrossFit to, to say, Hey, I need you to get Jimmy to call me wow. at home. And I called her and I remember where I was standing and everything. And I was about around a bunch of other guys who, who, who were either serving or had served and lost buddies. And she told me, she's like, Travis was killed last night. And I was like, you know, cause it was our night or whatever. And I was like, I, I just, I, I didn't, I couldn't believe, I was like, I just, I don't even remember having a thought. It was just like, no, no, that's not what, it's not possible. That's not, it can't be possible. 
you know? And I just, and then like when it set in, I was just, just devastated, like just completely broke down. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, I mean, Travis, you just said we were overlapping, right? We were having on my second deployment, we were having quite a deployment. Let's just like, you know, business was good. This is like really good. We came back to like, um, we were out at some forward operating bases. So for those who don't know, out in Iraq, there's a lot of major, major bases, you know, like Baghdad and um, Camp Fallujah and Camp Victory. And there's all these big ones where it's like a lot of infrastructure and cafeterias and maintenance places. And they're very, like, they're very inside the wires, the term, right? You yeah. know, it's just like where the big things are. Um, but we were out in forward operating bases where you're talking about hardened up hotels that you took over with sandbags in the windows and, you know, no bathroom facilities. So you're, you know, you use the restroom in a bag and then you're burning it in a pit and, you know, you're eating MREs and everybody's got to be on watch all the time. So we were operating out there. We had come back to do some maintenance, I think on our Humvees or whatever. And we, every Marine was just like real food. And so we're dirty and nasty and sweaty and just like camouflage utility uniforms are like, just like feel like cardboard because when you sweat, it's like the salt comes out, yeah. you know, and then it's dehydrated. And like, yeah. so you walk into this chow hall and I'm sitting there and I'm just like by myself at this table. And I just remember as clear as day and Trav sat down similar. I mean, couldn't be, it couldn't be a degree off from the first time I met him when he sat down. Now, Trav was clean and he was just smiling. He's like, that was his first doing? deployment, right? That was his first deployment, yeah. my second. Yeah. And we get to talking or whatever and, and uh, you know, just catching up. And I had time. We were waiting for maintenance and all this stuff. And we were just enjoying the air conditioning. And Trav, we just were catching up. And he, it got to the point where he's like, look, I, I'm like bored out of my mind on this deployment. He was like, I really want to get outside the wire. And I'll tell you, like... You know, um, the the deployment we were having are just kind of like, okay, no, you don't, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but he did, and you know, we were catching up. Madeline, in fact, um, had our daughter, our first daughter, on this deployment. Right? I remember coming back. We were, I think we did like it was like a six or seven day operation. We came back, and at the time we were at Abu Ghraib. Um, Abu Ghraib's a prison. At the time, um, there were some soldiers that were taking photos of some of the the high value targets, and the the um, the terrorists at the time. You know, I can't remember which group it was, but they took serious offense to it. It was really disrespectful. So Abu Ghraib was getting wrecked, and so my unit went in to go support that and and clean up the mess, but we got back from a mission. It was super late. It couldn't, it, it was like Hollywood style where I got on a sat phone because I knew she was due sometime soon. And they were like helicopters taken off. And I mean, it couldn't have been more Hollywood. I remember looking, you know, like looking and seeing chem lights everywhere. It's pitch dark, you know, seeing like the green lights from the um, Chinooks and everything. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy, but I called, and she was staying back in Jersey for help because we had our son and he was only, 
you know, a year and some change old. And um, I call home and I get, and it's like, I don't even know what time it is at this point. And my dad answers the phone and I think it's like two in the morning. And he's like, Hey, congratulations. And I'm like, but what? And he goes, you didn't get the red cross message. And I'm like, no. And he's like, Madeline had the baby, like, you know, whatever day and a half ago or something. Like, <laughs> what really? And I hang up the phone and I call the hospital and everything. And they're like, sir, it's past visiting hours. And I'm like, yeah, it's, I'm not visiting. I'm calling her. She's like, we can't. I'm like, look, this is her husband. I promise she wants to talk to me. She's like, sir, it's past visiting hours. I'm like, ma'am, do you hear this delay right now in the sat like the phone? I was like, I'm on a satellite phone calling from Iraq. I'm sure she wants to talk to me. Can you please put me on the phone? Yeah. And she ended up doing it, right? And like everything was fine with the baby or whatever. But I was telling Travis this story. And when I got home, like I, I told him, I was like, when I get home, she's going to be like four months old, you know? And I was like, you know, I, I almost like, I told him about a couple close calls I had. And I was like, I almost didn't get to meet her. Like, you know, you got to imagine like, this is my bro here. I'm yep. talking to like, I'm, I'm an officer. He's an officer. We, we, we we're best buds. Like, you know, even if we haven't seen each other for months, it's just like picked right back up. And so I'm telling him all this stuff. And I was like, I'm, she's going to be four months when I get home. And he's like, well, what's the plan? I'm like, well, I think I'm going to go home and sign for our on-base housing. And then they're going to come the next day or whatever. And he's like, so they're not going to be there. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. Like, we don't want to make a big deal. We just, you know, put the kid through it all and, you know, and all this stuff. And he's like, I'll be there. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I'll be waiting for you on the deck. And I was like, okay, cool. Whatever. Yeah. Sounds good, buddy. You know? like whatever, like I'm, I'm still months out from this. He was about to finish this first deployment. Like he was a few weeks away and I've still got months. Yeah. And sure enough, sure enough, I arrived to the deck, you know, the parade deck, right? Come back on this buses and, you know, it's a big thing and all this stuff. And I get back to the parade deck and there's Trav standing there with his Jeep. And he's <laughs> like, he's like, here you go. He's like, do what you need to do. And so I did. And, uh, him, um, so then I go sign for the sign for the house and all this stuff and uh come back the next morning. Travis, Mike Bigrig, and Luke Lazo all helped move me all of my stuff out of storage where I was in into the house that we just signed for, set it all up because Madeline and the kids were coming back the next day. So like we set the entire house up in a day. Wow. Right. Had a couple cold beers or whatever. Luke and Biggie took off and then Trav was about to leave um, and everything. And we just like hugged it out. I was like, dude, you have no, no idea how much like this means to me. You know what I mean? Like that you were there and all your help, you know, they must have had to take leave to do this stuff because he was like mine for two days. And that was the last time I saw Travis wow. was at the end of that conversation. Yeah. And that's who he was. Like, yeah, that's totally he was, who he was. He was the guy that always showed up. Like, I yeah. mean, it's just, that's who he was. And that's I remember that first deployment, he would talk about how bored he was. And when he would call, he would be like, I'm so bored. And I, on the other hand, was like, thank God, I'm so happy you are so bored. You know, like, yeah. I loved it, you know? And so, you know, he ended up attaching to that MIT team and, you know, 
I knew it was going to be very different, but I, yeah. I take solace in knowing that he was doing what he wanted to do. Like he was, that's right. He was right where he wanted to be. So that's for sure. That's for sure. I was just saying this at the Valor Open the other day. In fact, with Colonel, with your, your dad, you know, um, I was just, we were just reflecting on this whole thing, you know, cause Travis, again, he's fierce. He's a fierce guy, you know? And I mean, and that's like the, the nicknames that they gave him over there. Right. Like, it's just, he's a fierce guy, but he's also like just a big, funny teddy bear, yep. you know? And I was saying this and I don't know, you can edit this out if you want to, but I know for a fact that picture of Travis on the Humvee where he's like pointing Oh, it's like 100% goofing off. 100%. I mean, totally. I know Travis like, hey, go take a picture of me. I'm going to jump up there. And that's what Travis would do. And you'd get up there and he'd like, like, look like he was given a command or whatever. <laughs> 100%. Actually, right. I think, I think it was actually the Navy doc that was shot that Travis pulled out. He actually shared that with us at the Mannion Hall at Quantico, when they did the dedication, he ended up yeah. working, and he was like, and that picture had been used. It was like the front of the program, like <laughs> Travis on the Humvee pointing like this. And he <laughs> said something like, yeah, I don't know if Travis would have like thought that this picture would be used in that way. Like uh, we were there <laughs> yeah. with that picture. So like 100% that picture was yeah. like staged, like get me looking yeah, like totally. macho and badass, like pointing in. That's right. Yeah. Um, all right. We're going to fast forward because, I mean, obviously we could talk for hours and hours, but um, so I don't want to gloss over CrossFit, but I also want to talk about GORUCK. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, listen, you leave the Marine Corps and and you, you entered, you're one of the early guys at CrossFit and, mm -hmm. you know, we're pivotal about in the... Um, you know, kind of the growth of, of CrossFit and what it is today. And, you know, my first kind of, my first take on CrossFit was, was you, like I learned about CrossFit through you and what you were doing there and, you know, how you were helping to drive and, and grow that company from the very beginning. And, you know, uh, we've got the Mannion wad today, yeah. which is like a wad that we run nationally at hundreds of CrossFit gyms across the country. And I always tell the story because people are like, how'd you come up with this workout? I'm like, I didn't, you know, like yeah. Jimmy Letchford did. And, and I remember you telling me like, listen, this is the workout. The workout is, you know, back squats and running. And you would always right. say because Travis's legs were like tree trunks and like, That's we're right. going to kill the legs in this workout. And so that was a very early hero wide within CrossFit. That's um, right. Yeah. And so you helped bring that along. I share the story in my book of doing my first Mannion Wad at the Naval Academy CrossFit gym with you and your wife and Carlo Picori, another Marine and Naval Academy grad. And um, Carlo halfway through is puking in a trash can. Yeah. I'm like, I mean, it was like bad. I'm like, yeah, like, let's go. I remember I'm, you know, it, Jimmy's wife is like super buff, super fit. I'm trying to like keep up with her and I'm using the 45 pound bar and, you know, probably have done like 20 squats in the last year. <laughs> I go all out and do like a couple hundred, you know, in, in 30 minutes. And I felt like a million bucks after that workout. 
because like yeah. the adrenaline's going. And then Carlo and I proceed to like go back to my parents' house in Annapolis and for two days lied on the couch and like ordered pizza and watched like <laughs> watched like depressing yeah. movies. And I texted you because I literally could not sit down on the toilet. Like I was like, <laughs> I can't even lower my body. And I'm like, Jimmy, like something's wrong. And you're like, you gotta get the fuck up. Like yeah. you move the lactic acid in your That's legs, right. you know? But like I love how much that has grown. Um, I love how much that workout has grown and how the CrossFit community has embraced it. I love reading, you know, there's so many message boards for the CrossFit community. And always in the month of April, when we're executing the manual, I love to go on and read like, who the hell came up with this workout? This is BS. <laughs> like, and I love it. Like, I'm just like, this is so awesome. So yeah, you're supposed to suffer in those hero workouts, yeah. you know, they have to be that, you know, and I'll tell you, I do. I've done a lot of hero workouts. Trap, you know, the, the Mannion workout, that's, that's gotta be top three worst, yeah. you know, and the idea is like that you're paying homage, right? Like you're going to, you know, these, these guys and gals that have given all for others, you know, it's like, you can give it all during the workout. So that one needed to hurt, but I'll tell you, like, I, I love you, Trav, but I do not look forward to that workout every year. <laughs> I do not look forward to it. I'm kind of like, you know, everyone's like, you come to the, you know, the, the, the anniversary of this and that and the other thing. And all I can think about is like, I got to do manual soon. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, crap, it's April manual, it's coming up. Yeah. Um, so again, not to kind of gloss over because you did so many things at, at CrossFit and, and played such a huge role there. But I think I'd love to talk a little bit more about mm. Go Ruck and what you're doing there. Yeah, that's sure. Yeah. Um, I love it. So, you know, Go Ruck, uh, if you listen to this, program regularly, you know how much I talk about rucking and, you know, it's become a part of my fitness routine. Uh, when I had Jason, uh, McCarthy, yeah. the founder of go ruck on, uh, I've actually had him on twice. Um, I had him on during the, uh, pre COVID and then in the middle of COVID and we just kind mm -hmm. of, you know, went back and forth about the isolation thing and everything yeah, going on. Right. But, you know, during that, I remember I did my first, um, I did my first ruck with Jason in Georgia at like this offsite, like ranch. And he gave me a rucksack. He showed up, gave me a rucksack and he's like, let's go for a walk, you know? And it was like, he wanted me to experience like what rucking was all about. And like, I come from a place of like, if you, if you can breathe while you're working out, you're not working out hard enough. So like the concept right. of like, well, we want to be able to keep a pace where we can have a, a constant conversation it was like, well, what's this all about? But I learned to love it and yeah. ended up rucking the Marine Corps Marathon in 2019. Um, Jason got me over the finish line because I was at mile 24 and I was like, I'm done. And he yeah. like, trots up alongside me. He's like, we're almost done, you know, like, <laughs> and I'm like look, giving him dirty looks. And he's like, all right, we're going to shuffle to that sign. And then, you know, and he got me through those last two miles big time. Mm -hmm. But like, I have felt like the strength and, and my, my strength, my body strength has gotten so much different with, like, I feel like I used to just run and tear my body down. And now I'm actually like making my body stronger. You yeah. Know, there's such a big difference right. in that. And, and so like you joined not too long ago as the, the chief growth officer. And, yes. you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
go ruck and like what's new what's coming up and like the power of the go ruck community because I yeah know, sure i see similarities of what you're doing now with go ruck you know in in what you did with crossfit so that's right yeah yeah well what's interesting though um is i met jason because of you and so oh, like i've known about go ruck for a long time yeah. when i was at crossfit like we I was at the CrossFit Games. We had the Cross. We had the Go Ruck um, Rucks in some of the events. I mean, Go Ruck was is this awesome, authentic, um, just grassroots, gritty brand, right? And everybody knew it that as then they knew it then, and they know it now, right? But I was at the CrossFit Games, and um, I bumped into Jason. He was walking around with somebody because Go Ruck is a big sponsor that year, and I bumped into Jason. I think I had a TMF TMF shirt on okay. and he looked at me and he said, he's like, you know, TMF. And I'm like, yeah, I know TMF. <laughs> and he's like, really? And I'm like, he starts asking me something. He's like, I just think I did some, he might've just told me that he did the marathon with you or something like that, but he brought your name up and I'm like, Oh, I know Ryan. I was like, send her a picture of us. And I don't know if you remember. I remember sending, that. Yes, yeah. I do. Yes. So I think he was kind of betting me at the time. And he also didn't know what I did at CrossFit too. And so he, um, you know, we sent to that picture and then we always kept in touch after that. Right. And we started talking when I was at CrossFit, he's like, just call me up and he asked me some questions. And I'm like, yeah, anytime, like, I'll help you. You know, he sent me a ruck and I was like, I'll help you for anything. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to do anything. And we just always chatted. Right. Um, Fast forward a few years, I'd left CrossFit, um, you know, just on great terms and on my own accord. I just wanted to do some different things. And um, Jason's like, I want to get you more involved with GoRuck. I'm like, cool, let's do it. And that evolved into being invited to the board of advisors. And so I went out. um, This was probably two and a half years ago from here. I went out to a board of advisors meeting, sat with a bunch of people and just like, took off the gloves and talked about the brand a little bit. And Jason's like, after that, he's like, I want to get you more involved. So I went on contract with them for a little bit to a larger contract, to a bigger, bigger contract to the point where they're like, Hey, can you come on to be the growth officer? And I said, yeah, I love, I love this brand. And I do. There's something extremely special about GoRuck. The people that work there, there's about 45, 48 employees at this point people there are just amazing. They're just, they're just upbeat, live the brand, you know, on a mission to make better people is really it. Like our, our, it used to be make better Americans, build better Americans. Right. And we'll now that we're a global company, it's build better people, right. We're going to build better people through community, through communities, bring people together, do that, you know, put on a backpack, let's go out for a walk and talk. Like that's the essence of just coming together, right? Yeah. Um, and, and and that's what the company lives for. We make gear that's like good enough for special forces. Jason, for those of you who listen to the Jason podcast, he's a special forces guy, army, special forces, you know, and it's a unique group of individuals because the SF community, their, their motto is by, with, and through. Right. And that's like they go into communities and they embed themselves in these communities and um, to build better community to whatever build economic, you know, economic systems or, you know, self-defense or to defend themselves against, you know, local 
what depending on the situation warlords the terrorists or whatever but the this sf community embeds itself there to help support it to get on its feet and then ultimately to be able to walk away you know always willing to be side by side shoulder to shoulder kind of thing and and fight the fight but more of to help other people do that yeah so what we do is we build communities and we build gear for those communities that's good enough for the sf guy right and if it's good enough for the sf guy well it's sure as hell good enough for you and so we put a lifetime guarantee on all our products and it's because if you can figure out a way to rip it or tear it or break it like you probably won't but if you do we will fix it or we'll send you a new one right and like that kind of ethos in a company like it just reverberates out to the employees and they're just like so stoked to come to work right and so GORUCK's been thriving over the last two years, you know, and some of it, I think, is a slingshot off of COVID a little bit. Could be. I mean, it, how could it not? I mean, the whole fitness industry is just blown up. You know, I mean, I had people literally when I'm working out in my garage gym with the door open coming up and offering me like 5X for all the equipment in my in my gym, yeah. you, you know, but like we have gear, we make great gear and we make great gear for really people who want to go outside and do shit. You know, it's like, you don't necessarily want to be in the gym, put on a rug and go out, you know, go carry that sandbag up the top of the hill and back down, you know, and that kind of ethos and that kind of community has really just skyrocketed the brand. You know, we're becoming a whole lot of a whole lot more like, of a household name because we've really owned the rucking space, right? Like rucking, you know, rucking is like a term that the military uses. Like you put in your backpack, everything you need to live and fight, you know, it's like water, food, ammo, sleeping systems, communications, gear, batteries, you name it. And it ends up being a lot of weight, but like, and I'll tell you the interesting thing is, is like, I feel naked when I go out without my rucksack on, even if I'm just going for a run, because even if I'm like, you know what, like my back's a little tight today. I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want the weight. I actually want to like pick up the pace. I still wear my rucksack because I throw all my crap in there. I've got my water bottle. I've got everything in there. And it ends up still being like, all right, I've got, now I've got eight pounds of weight without even trying, you know, but I love it for that. And I will say like, the product, the quality of the product is like top notch. The yes. shoes, you know, they're everything from the shoes to the boots that I wore uh, on the last expedition I did in Puerto Rico to the ballistic trainers I wear every single morning when I'm yes. lifting to the new Rough Runners, which I haven't gone on a run in them yet, but um, I'm going to do it this week, 4th of July week. I'm going to go on a nice yeah. run with them. But like, the bags themselves. I mean, everything is, it's high quality and you can tell it's like high quality and they care about, you guys care about the product. And, you know, for us at TMF, GORUCK has been a tremendous partner for us. And I think because like you guys are a a for-profit company, we're a nonprofit, but we essentially have the same mission, right? That's right. Like all, so it's just the synergy. It's, it's not faked. It's totally authentic. We yes. don't have to try and fit a, uh, you know, a square peg in a round hole. It just works. Yeah. And that's, I think, the beauty of what we are able to do together. Um, oh, for sure. How our communities just kind of mold right into each other. Yeah, that's right. And like we, 
So just talk on the product for 12 seconds. It's basically like we have a true R&D department, right? Like nothing goes to production unless it has been tested by us. You know, where a lot of companies, it's like their R&D department is like a ball full of pictures and mood boards. You know, that's that's it. And I'll just stop there. But like our stuff, we put it through the ringer and it does not go past uh, Jason. Jason tests it all, Yeah. you know, and if it's a female product, then he'll have somebody that he trusts but he's the final say on all that stuff. So there's something really special about that. But like to the point of our partnership, I mean, besides the fact that, um, you know, I love, I love Travis. I love the Manning family. I love the mission. Um, I love Janet. Janet called Mike Big Rig and I up, by the way. I'll just go here real quick. Janet called, um, she was Mrs. Mannion to us, by the way. We never called her Janet. Yeah. But Mrs. Mannion called Mike Big, Big Rig and up. I and up another Navy Mike wrestler, Big, Mike Big Ray, just, yeah. Um, good, you know, another great friend of Travis, but we were on the West coast. So they had the nine 11 heroes run the first one on the East coast and Janet called Mike Big and up, I and up Mike Big Rig and I up, jeez, can't get that one too straight. <laughs> and she said, you guys are doing the, the second, uh, nine 11 heroes run. And we're like, Anybody who knew Janet, you did not, not doing as in running. You're no, you're, you're like putting, putting it, it off. On. Yes, yeah. Exactly. And Mike exactly. and I were like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know. So we were the second 9/11 heroes run in Orange <laughs> County, California. I um, we had like 500 people. Yeah, it was really cool. And I, um, you know, you think about that, like that was like 14 years ago. We've got last year, we had like over 90 locations across the world. 60,000 yeah. people come out, 60,000 people came out. And I always talk like my dad always talks, Jimmy, about like the the power of TMF is like that it's grassroots, right? It's yes. like it's it's organic in how we grow our programs and, and our initiatives and our activations. Yes. And like, that's the perfect example of it, you know? Yeah. Well, yes. And so the synergies between like my position at GoRuck and Jason's position, obviously at founder and CEO of, of GoRuck and our relationship with you and the people like your staff, like I love them. I just love them. I just, they're just great people. Like we're, there's so many synergies between my staff and your staff, yeah. you know, but like our whole, our whole mission, right? We, we you want to know our growth plan? I'll tell you, here's the secret. It's soft. Like we have special, we come from special operations forces, right? Soft. Well, our whole growth plan is support our friends. Soft. That's it. Like we just, like the whole special forces mission by, with, and through, like that's what we do. Like we will stand shoulder to shoulder with our friends in the fight, or, you know, we will support anything they're doing. And that's it. And like what you all are doing at TMF, like is so special. It's so special. And it's like, it's, it's without getting into any kind of the political talks or whatever, it's so important right now. It is so important to be touching our youth to, to give, like to give and not, I'm not talking financial giving. I'm talking about like, give your whatever to the community, yeah. right? You, you know, you gotta, you gotta give your time and your love and your efforts and your you know, your resources to your communities, right? And create leaders around that have character that can stand up to what's right. And, you know, ultimately fight for others, whether that's 
in a physical stamp, you know, physical domain, or it's just in a way where you can influence others to do good for others. Like what you're doing is pretty spectacular. We'd be fools not to be partners with TMF, you know? So like my, the honor's all ours for sure. Well, I loved Go Ruck before, and obviously I love it even more now that uh, you're, you're a part of helping grow the brand. Um, Jimmy, I could, obviously we could keep talking for, for hours, but um, yeah. I'm going to close it out with the final question I asked to every one of our guests at the end. And that is what does living a resilient life look like for you? Yeah, that's, that is a tough one. Um, never leave it to the referee, you know, um, and give, you know, give, give to your communities, like give what you have to others, you know, serve. Like, I, I'm not saying you need to serve your country. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you need to be a first responder. You don't need to join the armed forces, but like, you know, give everything you have, you know, time's the most precious, you know, the, the most precious thing in life. You know, it's the most precious, um, it's the most precious thing we have, you know, so never leave it to the referee and give all you got to others. Jimmy, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks Yeah, for having me. This is awesome. Thanks for uh, joining us for another episode of The Resilient Life. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends.